0: Welcome to the What's Next Podcast with Tiffany Bova.
1: Tiffany is a top-rated speaker, thought leader, and sales and marketing influencer known around the world as an industry visionary. Today, she's using her 20 years of sales experience to help companies focus on creating a high growth culture while adapting to the new realities of the market. She's always asking herself, what's next?
0: Hi, this is Tiffany Bova. Welcome to the What's Next Podcast, where I have the pleasure and honor to welcome Nancy Duarte today. She is a communications expert who's been featured in Fortune, Forbes, Fast Company, Wired, Wall Street Journal, New York Times, and on CNN. Her firm, Duarte Inc., is the largest design firm in Silicon Valley, as well as one of the top women-owned businesses in the area. It's the global leader behind some of the most influential visual messages in business and culture, and has created more than a quarter of a million presentations. As a persuasion expert, she cracked the code for effectively incorporating story patterns into business communications. She's written five best-selling books, and and, is, and on the list of the world's top 30 communication professionals, she is actually ranked number one. Her TED Talk on the secret structures of great talks has over 1 million viewers. Nancy, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Yes. So, you know, I'm just going to jump right into something I enjoy doing, which is called bullish and bearish. It's a way for me to just sort of get Get the guests loose and having a little fun on this. And so bullish is if you really uh, think it might happen or agree with it. And bearish is the opposite of that. So Mm -hmm. it's going to be across the map. So no pressure. Okay. Okay. All right. So the first one is artificial intelligence and machine learning, writing speeches, songs, and marketing copy.
1: Can I be neutral? I have a whole story behind that and I don't want to get all into it, but I I would say um, bull, Bullish-ish. bullish-ish. Okay, that's fair. That's
0: yeah. fair. I have to say, everybody so far, right, we get this, but.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know, on that one, because can Mozart be brought from the dead? Probably not. Yes.
0: All right, the next one, uh, I'll give you a pass on that one. The next one is that the average age of workers is now pushing into the 70s. Bullish or bearish? Bearish. Okay, fair. And the next one is on the same lines, apprenticeship being used to reskill workers as tech shifts jobs. Bullish, 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 bullish. Excellent, excellent. Well, great. I think the, the 70s one is interesting. I've been tweeting a lot this week around what to do after 50. Like.
1: Are we- <laughs> And and
0: now it matters to Sorry.
1: me. Sorry to snort laugh, but I'm, yeah. 50, I'm I turned 55 in August. So yeah, I,
0: I I just turned 51, so you know, <laughs> welcome to the club,
1: I guess. Yeah. Anyway. I don't want to work after 70, so I'm like bearishly bully. I don't
0: either. I don't either. <laughs> well, you know, let, let me uh let me let me start by saying that, you know, your your TED Talk had a big impact on me. I mean, the reason I sort of oh. reached out to you yeah. is um I, you know, give a lot of speeches around the globe. I have been, and you know, you sort of, sometimes you start to drink your own Kool-Aid and go, Hey, I think I'm pretty good at this. Cause I get booked a lot.
1: <laughs> yeah, Likewise. you do.
0: Uh, I would say this, I, I, you know, don't drink my own Kool-Aid. I know I always can get better. And I just reached ah. out to you and said, Hey, you know, I, I do this a lot. I'd, you know, love to have some feedback. And you were kind enough to give it to me and sort of the friendship began. So I appreciate yeah. you and everything you've done.
1: Wow, well, you're a good communicator. And there's not that many female ones that stand out. So here's a really good female communicator that you are wanting to be better. Because I usually don't take a weekend and spend time doing that. And I really appreciated how good you are as a base. And the fact that you want to be better was impressive. So
0: Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. So I'm going to dive right in and say, you know, I'm going to kind of paraphrase you, but each of us, right? Everyone listening to this podcast, to use your words, has the ability to change the world with an idea. Yeah. And if you communicate an idea in a way that resonates, change will happen. Today, I believe, uh, you know, just sort of in my wheelhouse, right? That many salespeople, especially those selling technology, are not selling a product, but selling change. I agree. And if that is true, right, if we just say that is true, that salespeople are having to, to really step up their quote-unquote storytelling communication skills. Mm-hmm. That's why I was so excited to have you here because I yeah. don't think there's anybody better to tell us how to do that than you. So sort of, what do you think about that sort of new storytelling sales, you know, this kind of new market and, and what that means to people who are listening, who are in the profession?
1: Yeah, I think what's interesting about the word story is is it's getting used in so many ways, it's almost being abused. So when the gal came to decorate my home, she was like, we're going to layer all these woods so it tells a story. I'm like, no, it's just freaking layered wood. Like it kind of diminishes the power of what a story is. And a story at its root is about transformation. It's about this really likable person who went through something kind of tough, made some really tough decisions and was changed by it. People love observing story. They love observing story because of the transformation. So now we can hook up fMRI machines and see what's going on in the brains while the storyteller is in front of a story listener. And their brains are firing at the same pace and the same parts of the brain are firing. So it also is an empathy builder it's like so you're basically having them process information with more parts of their brain than if you stood in front of them with statistics it also creates a bond Um, there's a it's true that the hearts become united analytical nature is suspended enough for your heart to connect to the other person and everyone knows if your heart connects to a brand you have connected and You think about presenting in a B2B situation. All the advertising, all the marketing, all the money you've spent most of the time is to get two people in a room together to communicate (laughs) in front of a presentation most of the time. So making that bond and that human connection real and powerful you are the touch point of the brand the most important one and stories do that and i'm talking about real stories i'm not talking about if you layer your outfit correctly (laughs) i'm talking about a real story um it's such a powerful communication device it's the most powerful one that humans have to create a human connection and so using it well and not being manipulative you can't anyway yeah yeah it's just so powerful to create a bond and a connection
0: well, so when you were saying sort of that you made the comment about being manipulative, you know, I think yeah. trust is something many companies are are challenged with. There was just a recent study by Edelman saying that trust in CEOs is at an all-time low. Yeah, I bet. And And so, you know, do you think that's a um inability to tell the right story or yeah. it's just not coming off as authentic what do you think
1: i, I think it's lack of storytelling to be honest because if a story like if you tell a story what that means is hi tiffany i'm a likable person named nancy i made this horrible decision and really screwed up but it changed me forever and it, like that's the basic structure of a story if 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 executives were telling stories that said hi I went through this really hard time but I'm different from it that builds their authenticity and it builds your trust in them because they're being honest they're being transparent they're being authentic that life is hard but most executives show up they're demanding they're commanding they're bossing everyone around instead they should be looking at who they're talking to and understanding where their audience is at and their audience is their people so we, there's, there's stages to change. There's five stages to change. And if you show up with the wrong emotional um, content at a time when your you're, people are thinking they're in the fight of their life and they're having a hard time just taking a breath every day and you show up trying to do a rah, rah, rah thing, it's going to backfire. So you have to be emotionally connected to the emotional needs at the right time. And I don't think executives are very good at that.
0: Well, so how do you do that today because i'd almost argue that with all this advancement in sort of social media marketing social selling tweeting linkedin etc and you know we can leave the politics aside but i'm just talking in the business world Mm -hmm. you know structuring that kind of emotional connection and understanding where your audience is is really hard in 140 characters or less right yeah
1: (laughs) you know it's funny i i think of i think of tweets like I think of tweets as emotional beats. I don't think of tweets as stories. So if you look at a, at a structure of storytelling, every, um, every um, story has three acts. Every act is made up of scenes, and every scene is made up of an emotional beat. And I look at tweets and little tiny Facebook posts, posts as emotional beats. I don't look at them as stories in themselves. But if you're looking at a CEO who's trying to drive change, they're basically driving a movement that's some, you know, the amount of people you have to move today in these busy, 300,000 employees, hundreds of thousands of this is a scale that larger than most kingdoms, like we celebrate historical figures that aren't even running businesses anywhere near the size of their, their kingdoms weren't even the size of most of the public companies today. Like they, these are big things and, and they're big movements. And if you, if you look at a movement and we, that's what uh, my book Illuminate that I wrote with Patty Sanchez says, that's what we did. So these CEOs are driving movement-sized initiatives where their, their product, their services are going to change the world. Well, there's a phase where you cast the dream. And that's when you need a moment of inspiration. You get them to leap. They need a moment of commitment. You get them to fight. They need a moment of bravery. Then they go into this long season of endurance. And that's when they're doing the long climb. And then ultimately they arrive. And that's when you have to create a moment of reflection. This kind of tuning in and being like whoa in this in this movement i'm leading whoa everyone's exhausted like we found speeches of mlks that are so beautiful and he was in private rooms with his people they were wiped out wiped out tired wanting to throw in the towel and he said the most beautiful words at the right time and we forget Like we forget. We just are like leaders for some reason we can see so far in the future. We tend to be able to run harder and faster than anyone. And we don't even look back to realize everyone's panting and dying behind us. And it's meeting them where they're at with the right kind of water and fuel for their spirits, you know.
0: Yeah, and I think the challenge today, you know, at an individual level, well, at the executive level, let me start there, is the transparency in those communication styles now is
1: exactly at such a
0: pace. I mean, you could say yeah. the fact that an MLK, you know, comment in a room was captured is rare, right? I mean, if <laughs> yeah. go back in time where yeah. lots of great things were said and people didn't have their, you know, smartphone or smartwatch or, you know, recording everything either visually or, you know, via the spoken word where there's, there's this, you know, Deluge of data every day being produced by individual people. That this mass amount of, you know, story of the history is much different than it used to be. Obviously, right? It used to be sort of carving in a cave, and now it's (laughs) you know, one hundred and forty word, you know, tweets. So it's very different, right? But but if you think about that transparency, you know, as an individual, and you know, thinking about the challenges that um, those that are in front of customers, you know, maybe yeah. not trying to inspire the movement. But as an individual, you know, like going back yep. to what I said earlier, right? I'm a salesperson trying to inspire the customer to buy a car, buy a refrigerator, buy my technology, or buy from me versus someone else. And and I only have these bursts of small, like you said, moments in time that I have to time it right with the right thing, with the right message. It's tough. And so, how do you do all that um, on the fly in real time?
1: Yeah. I think it's a real um, gift to be able to read and perceive h- how someone's feeling um, and then adapt on the fly. Um, I think that what happens with the customers, they go on a similar journey. It's still a story, right? They, they You're in the room for some reason because they bought part of your dream. But what happens is then they have to fight. Sometimes the fight is, is this the right product? I'm going to send everyone to compete against this product. Sometimes the fight is they have this massive internal fight because they might believe in your product, but they're having to go and contend for it on your behalf and are you arming them with the right tools are you arming them with the right sound bites because you you can't even look at a movement that didn't start with an impassioned plea well most sales calls start with something similar right it's like this thing that convinces you that you need this product or this service and i, I also think that we go to these default modalities as salespeople that are steeped in you know the, the things that aren't necessarily effective. Um, We, I think you can use, um, we actually did a body of work that a lot of people don't know about where you can actually create beautiful modular collateral. It's called a slide doc. It's all written and produced in PowerPoint. You can edit yourself. You can move it around yourself and customize your message to meet the needs of your audience. So I think you send a read ahead, then you present beautifully. You have this beautiful human connection. You don't sit, it cracks me up. Like we had this guy who was trying to get a hundred million dollar project funded from a multinational. CEO and he was like I'd I, Hi, Duarte, can I hire you to do five slides for me? And we were like, you're going to sit in front of a multinational CEO for your division, you know, and and you're going to sit with a computer between you and him, and you're not going to look him in the eye. And, he, and he's like, oh, well, what do you think I should do? So we wrote this kind of the sales arc, the story arc. And we said, okay, right here, you're going to sketch this on a whiteboard. Right here, you're going to just grab a piece of paper off his desk, flip it over, you're going to take a pen, and you're going to draw that. It looked completely spontaneous, and then we figured out what the branching narrative narrative would be if they asked these certain questions. He had such a blast. He got his $100 million. He had such a blast. It was, it was like nothing he ever had done before. He was drawing like the infographics on a piece of paper. It looked real collaborative. He could be animated. He could have massive amounts of eye contact. So instead of looking away from each other at this other thing called a computer, he looked him square in the eye and asked for the money. It was awesome.
0: Yeah, and I think that that is a great example of, you know, doing the same thing in potentially a unique way that makes you different in that storytelling. Um, but you also risk, right, that not being authentic. Because if it looks too staged, like, I think yeah. you really have to practice it. And it has to feel right for you where not everyone is comfortable getting on the whiteboard or, you know, whipping over a piece of paper. Mm-hmm. It would be second nature for me. I would do it all day long. I know. I would more, too. <laughs> yeah, Much more so than a PowerPoint. But, you know, sometimes we're forced to do whatever we do. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, you know, I think that, that that's a great example. When, and when you said that sort of modality of the presentation and, it, and you can kind of cater it to um, the particular audience, I'm going to go back to my bullish bearish question around sort of the machine and AI writing and producing, let's say, a PowerPoint or a presentation. Mm-hmm. So is there a way to marry those two things where analytics is looking at data and creating, I'm not saying the finished product, but getting you closer by knowing the customer better than you could as a human?
1: I, I do think there's a there there. I just and in, in made my first little investment in a company that is definitely coming up ways to display data in very meaningful and clear ways. And the, what, you, what you, you put into the system, the first thing is what is it you're trying to communicate and to whom. Um, and then it parses the data in a really beautiful way and very simple. So I also do believe that AI um, is going to get to the point where it'll say, Hey, you just put this information in there for a slide. Here's 22 ways that you could display that. Which one do you think is most beautiful, right? I mean, I think it'll help us visualize things. I'm coming up with a kind of a, a binary way that you could have it help you make diagrams and stuff like that. So I, I think it's going to take us part of the way there. Can AI learn the secrets of the human heart? Like, there's a moment in. Um, There's a moment in storytelling where the protagonist, every time, um, goes into what's called their inmost cave. It's in Joseph Campbell's uh, Hero's Journey work. St. John of the Cross called it uh, the dark night of the soul. How would an AI know that this person is there? Like, how would it know that somebody's suffering in its darkest time of its life? Maybe it could read your Facebook posts or whatever, but I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't know that I want an AI to decide what I need emotionally. Um, It could know, it could feed me insights into my audience I had not considered. And I think they're trying to get there, but I do think that a human, I I do think it'll, like, once everyone's doing AI and flipping out all this stuff, I'm going to get marked in a way where some machine's going to decide that to appeal to Nancy Duarte, you do these four things, and then everyone's going to try to appeal to me that way. And I think the person who doesn't do that is going to be the one that ends up standing out anyway,
0: you know? Yeah, I think it's a. You know, I I am I am bullish on the combination of human and exactly. machine and AI. If that right? was
1: your, I would have said bullish on that same thing, yeah, right? Yeah. And and yeah.
0: so I, I needed to go all the way because you know it's it's the then then you would have said bullish because then that's the medium answer you gave me. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but, so I was trying to put you on the spot. Uh, but, you know, I think that um, I often get asked, you know, will will AI replace salespeople? And I think you're know, machine learning or bots, you know, and, and, and I think in situations that are transactional, things selling to things, you know, a widget on a supply room floor, right, buys more widgets. Sure, right.
1: Or a SaaS, like a, a shopping cart that says the 12,000 people before you that bought that also bought these four other things like that's great. Right. But when you're talking about buying a server farm, no, (laughs) you know, no, you wouldn't do that. I don't think.
0: No, but what you could do to your point is take that AI and machine learning and go, okay, but the hundred people who bought a server farm or bought something that looked like that in the past, like that almost if people bought this, bought that, but people who bought this, who chose to buy, you know, uh, chose to buy that and got these kinds of results. So the machine is looking for something that a human could not see at its surface, right? So digging into the data to your point, that it starts to surface some signals that you can then build a story around, right? right. So it's right. giving you those buoys that you can say, okay, if I'm going to build a race, you know, I'm looking at the weather patterns and the ocean waves and the, and the you know, the currents and all those things, and I'm going to build the race that way. And so it's looking at that data and then building the race. So it's almost looking at the data and building the story. Um, although you may have the same set of tools, it's kind of how you organize them.
1: And that's the little bit of the debate in data. Like, do you say, and this is what's happening in our country right now, this is my narrative and I'm going to go find data to support the narrative. Or do you say, I'm going to let the data tell me the story? Well, what is a data story? Like, if you look up, what's a data story? People will be like, you get all the books on it. It's like making data uncluttered. But I, I think there's actual narrative in the data when you see the data. What, Who's the protagonist in the data? Oh, it's humans. What did the humans do to make the numbers go up? what did the humans do to make the numbers go down and you have to go and find that i don't know that a i don't know that a machine could go pick up the phone and say i'm looking at numbers from zimbabwe and what did the humans do to make that number go up like you know i don't know if they could do that yeah and um, i think that
0: there's some bias in the data as well which i think yes. you know so just like you said right you can make a you can have, come up with a hypothesis make any data prove out your point if you've got yeah. the bias behind it right exactly um, but you know there's there's for me, I think that there was some recent stats out about um, it was based on what this company did 25,000 sales calls in listening to all these sales calls. And then they analyzed <laughs> them, which was awesome. I love this. Yes, really great. And so they were looking for sort of the talk to listen ratio. So the pitch, the talk to the listen, the listen, right? So, and the salesperson was in B2B was like 65 to 75% of the sales call between a half hour and an hour talked. And it was, you know, 25 to 35% was when the customer talked, <laughs> right? And so the the conversion time, the best conversion time was sort of almost 50, 50, let's say, but it was sort of, the, the point of it was less talking from the salesperson, right? And more talking from the customer. And so, you know, which would play out very obviously, but what they found from the analysis was a lot of salespeople thought they were talking less until their calls were analyzed. And then they realized. So it, it was really, really great. And then that's using AI, right, to be smarter so that the salespeople mm. can be smarter, sort of, et cetera. But mm-hmm. what that says to me as well is on a you know 30-minute call, um, you know not the 140-character tweet, but now you have to tell these stories in shorter bites with these hooks that get the customer to want to say more right. back to you, right? right? Versus going, yes, uh-huh, yes, uh-huh. Which means they're reading email and doing something else if you're on the phone, right. like they're just not paying attention to you. So if I'm doing a cold call, right, and I'm saying I'm going to be more listen than pitch and what is my what is my hook? I mean obviously it can be a lot of things, but if I'm practicing on what that is, what, what do you think you would say?
1: Well, that's a really good question because I I've been getting pitched to a lot because we're we're going to be moving to a big platform thing um, and the same I mean the same thing happened to me where I'm like finally 5 minutes in I cut him off I said look, I read your website don't read me your slides. We're we're at a different place in the sales cycle than you're thinking I am. Like it was just bizarre. Every single time they were going through their. Blah, 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 I mean, just like I just don't I don't have time for that because I know how to read. Um, I read faster than people talk. You read about one and a half times to two times faster than people talk. So I don't have the time to sit through a pitch. So I I would just I I would just say how I, I, maybe because I'm an exec, I I would rather just have someone ask me, hey how hot or cold are you on this? And can I, have you done any research yet? And should we start with answering your questions? It sounds really weird, but my God, I'm not going to sit in a room with someone unless I've either been briefed or I've read everything or I'm I'm pretty close to have narrowed it down. I hire people to research platforms. Like I hired a guy, he researched all these things, narrowed it down to three. I read all of the material. Well, he narrowed it down to five. I read everything. I narrowed it down to three. And then I'm finally getting him on the phone and only three people. And they're like, they're trying to go through an hour long pitch and I was just pissed. I cut them all off and maybe it's just me, but I'm, I'm just, I cut them off five minutes in. I said, I've read all this stuff. And I have a finite, I started the call. We've read everything. I have five questions to help clarify stuff. And they still, still, went into this monkey mode of reading everything I couldn't believe it anyway that kind of got me wound up and I don't feel like I answered your question (laughs) because I just lived through this so um I I don't know I I think I would ask me what I want to hear just ask me what ask me if there's something that that I have a burning question right up in the front have a conversation with me (laughs) it's just bizarre I yeah I don't know who trains these people but so I used
0: know. to do something called Friday fails and I would grab uh, an email that I would get and I would block out names to protect the guilty <laughs> <laughs> and uh, a colleague of mine uh, Hank Barnes who who I worked with at Gartner and I would post them on LinkedIn and we used to have a lot of fun right so someone would be like oh you know Tiffany I'm I think I could really help you with leads and I, you know I'm, as you build out your sales team and 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 I would just be like okay well hold on like you know first of all you clearly didn't do 30 seconds of research on me because I don't have a sales team. You know, this is in my last life, right? I don't have a sales team. And so, you know, I think that Salespeople today have to be far more prepared. And if you're not yeah, prepared, do. you'll find the story in the preparation, I think.
1: Um, and, and then the you won't show up. Yeah. The customer knows so much more today coming into yeah. a buying decision. It used to be that you, you had to be taught that because you couldn't run to the web and get it. Well, those mindsets about sales are, what, 20 years old now? It just, it's just bizarro to me. But
0: Well, I think people are now emotionally invested in brands right? It, yeah, it, it,
1: I would agree. It, yeah, yeah. And,
0: and and some of them are fanatics about brands. You know, you could rattle off the brands that people tattoo on them, whether it's Harley Davidson or you know, what I mean, they they are they are maniacal about a brand and and really um, strong about that. And so the sales team or the marketing team, right? Those customer customer service, those f- customer facing employees are the brand right? They are the representation at that moment of truth when you have a, to your point, a face-to-face human-to-human conversation or Uh a video conversation or a phone conversation, right? So creating that emotional connection now that people are so distracted and have so much more um, information at their fingertips, uh, I think is more difficult.
1: I I think you have to be way more prepared. I think I think you have to have done everything from read the 10 K to set up your Google alerts a month before to, uh, really you, you, you have to, you have to do a different kind of research. I think, um, and nuance it in a way you never used to have to nuance it and be, and be, have a high emotional intelligence too. I, I think the sales guy, the slick one who can talk the fastest and talk the most those days are dead. So I think it's really about uh, listening and nuancing, I would say.
0: Well, so I, 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 the one thing that makes this, I think a little bit more complicated is if we can even just improve it from an individual contributor standpoint, right? This art of storytelling and, and creating this uh, connection and emotional connection and the story and the vision and all those things is that many buyers require now many different stories because there isn't a individual buyer, right? There's four or five buyers. So like in your case, there was three buyers or four, right? The guy who was analyzing it for you, you know, other people in the company, he probably checked and then you were, you're one of them. Now you have heavy influence obviously, but I write the check. Yeah, you write the check, but (laughs) he still had four other gates to get through before he got to you or he or she. And so
1: I'm having to come up with four or five different stories. Right. And, and, um, yeah. And, uh, Case study stories, you know, I'm, I'm not exactly sure how it would be defined, but yes, they are. And they should know and understand the temperament of the person you're talking to. If these people were smart, they would have asked the last guy who was going to pass them on to me, what's the best way to communicate to me? and um, And they didn't. Like they could have had those skids greased for them or how much, how much, when I go to approach Nancy, how much will she know? How much will she have read? Um, What's the best use of an hour of her time so that we make the most of it and let's co-create a communication plan to her together. You know, that would have been smart, Um, but that didn't happen.
0: Well, so with that, you know, give me some idea about what you think is next, right? What's next for, storytelling knowing all these new mediums all these new channels you know voice now being uh the huge sort of next wave right whether it's siri or echo or alexa or whatever yeah um what's what's next for this category
1: you know i i'm longing for almost like going back to the future right i want i kind of want um we do a a, for story we have a beautiful storytelling event that we do here where it's literally stories and it's eight stories each eight minutes it's almost like a storytelling festival where you laugh you cry you, and then you bond to all all of each other so I I actually am really right now into being in a room with other people telling and sharing a story I think some of that intimacy of being in someone's home in their hearth and all that I think people are wanting community and connection I think technology wise um, I'm most interested in uh, AR I think VR is awesome I get I get sick as a dog man I can't do that I think transporting me to a place, um, to a different place is exciting and adventurous. Um, but I would hurt myself as I got this headset on. <laughs> um, so I think AR is going to be very interesting in my space. So, um, storytelling could be interesting. Like picture I'm sitting at a 401k meeting with, with Fidelity or whoever is your, you know, and I've got my, um, glasses on my air glasses on. I'm looking at the slide. I'm seeing my personal financial information in my glasses i'm not seeing everyone else and no one's seeing mine i'm seeing my own like i could see i could see personalization of content during a story personalization of content during a talk i think I think one directional storytelling is going to get old. this sense that this one person on a stage that's above me and it distanced away from me is this person of all wisdom and insight, right? I think there's going to be some way to, for us to build a technology that makes me as the presenter understand what you want to know instead of me pretending I can hole away like Moses and come down with a tablet and hand it to everyone. I think it's, I think we're getting um, that the hierarchy of a staged presenter versus audience. That's going to flatten like all our other hierarchy hierarchies I just don't know how. Um so I think I think there's there's just kind of new ways that we're going to find uh to communicate stories and connect. Well, I you know, I just have to say this has been such a pleasure for all kinds of
0: reasons, right? It's sort of a full circle moment for me <laughs> since we've <laughs> we've been connected for I some know. time. Yeah. It's just really I, I so appreciate your time. And you know, anybody who is looking to, you know, upskill, up level their storytelling should absolutely, by all means, watch the TED Talk. Oh, Read thanks. your books, Illuminate, and and your most recent one. And and just, you know, at the end of the day, I, I always tell people who ask me that I think. Storytelling is something you constantly have to practice. I agree. You know, persuading people and um, you know it's inspiring people to, to do things, and so yeah. with that, you know, I, what's the one thing you'd say to people listening to this podcast for their sort of Monday morning? You know, some of them are going to be on a treadmill at the beach, whatever they're doing, listening to this podcast. But you know, on Monday morning when they get back to work, what 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 would you tell them to do if they said, you know, what I really do want to be better at this?
1: I think I think if there's a way to have empathy i think i think really understanding the hearts and minds of others P- some people grow to be a leader because they've just bullied you know pushed the way up and i think the ones that become really great really understand the emotional needs of the people they travel we call them your travelers the people that are traveling with you on this long journey how they feel and what they need is the most critical skill to have right now because that'll help you tell the right stories that meet their emotional needs. You might have completely different emotional needs, but you need to be telling stories that meet their emotional needs because stories are like fuel. They're fuel for the heart and it'll re-energize them and let them go for another 10 months or, you know, so I I would say empathy.
0: Well, great. Well, with that, Uh, I thank you so much, my friend, for your time and your willingness to do this. And I hope everybody enjoyed the podcast, What's Next? And we'll talk to you soon. Thank you again, Nancy. Thanks a ton. Thank you for tuning in to the What's Next podcast. Appreciate your support. Please make sure you subscribe, share with your friends, and leave a review. Head on over to tiffanybova.com backslash next for show notes and additional insights from me. And I'll see you on the next show. Thanks again.